And so what I'm going to be doing, we'll talk about the uh, um, Center for Renewing America. But I, the lead here is what's going on with immigration. But then I also want to open up, we can talk about anything. The federal government weaponized against its citizens, and IRS wants access to our bank accounts, Justice Department that thinks parents are domestic terrorists, you know. So we'll open into that, which are <laughs> no most, shortage of material. A lot of the a lot of the issues that that are on your website. So how did you get the idea of starting uh, the shop center for um, center for renewing America? I mean, you sure. came out of the Trump organization um, as a with a big job. You you wanted to be a a nimble leader on issues. I did. I you know I, there was a laundry list of things I wanted to accomplish in a second term, but there was also a laundry list of things that just in thinking and reading about. I felt needed to be done outside of office. Uh, some big correctives that need to be um, thought through from the outside. And so we wanted to stay in the fight. I remember talking to Ken uh, fairly soon after we were, uh, we were departing to think through, you know, what do we need to do to keep moving forward? Because the hour is late in the country and we've got to stay in the fight. And so I wanted to be at a place that was nimble. Uh, you could get up in the morning and roll out. In, in an and we like, like the boss. And we and love so the you boss. Said, you said, hey. Exactly. <laughs> Russ loves the boss. I love the boss. <laughs> Russ loves Russ loves So, Kenny, are we good to go? We are ready to go. The Bill Walton Show, March 23. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics, and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to the Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. With Ukraine and Russia dominating the headlines, America seems to have lost focus on the border and the war that really counts. It's not Ukraine. It's America's southern border with Mexico. Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, California. The Biden administration seems to have simply opened it up completely. And what's happening is an ongoing catastrophe that's fueling illegal immigration, human trafficking, drug smuggling, and on and on. We need to focus on this war, on our border here at home. And as if that were not enough, it also seems we have a federal government that's weaponizing against its own citizen, citizens. We've got an IRS that uh, wants access to our private bank accounts, a Justice Department that thinks parents are domestic terrorists because they're against the radical teaching of critical race theory, and of course, the attempts at a federal reign of terror with their vaccine mandates. Pushing back against these and other horrible government actions is an exciting new policy shop, the Center for Renewing America, led by its founder and president, Russ Vogt. The center, center is a make-it-happen shop, not content to just put out policy papers, but is committed to results and to bringing about change. Russ served as director of the office, the powerful Office of Management and Budget under President Trump, where he over oversaw the implementation of Trump's agenda across the entire executive branch. Ken Cuccinelli, my favorite uh, uh, Virginia governor candidate, and we worked, we didn't win, but we tried, <coughs> we is, did uh, try. <laughs> is a senior fellow at, and we came that close, uh, is senior fellow for Homeland Security and Immigration at the center. Ken served under President Trump as well as Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security and as director of the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. There, he was a key, if not the key, to enforcing President Trump's top border and immigration policies. Russ, Ken, glad you guys are here. Good to be with you. We've known each other as fellow travelers in some of these battles, and they, they unfortunately continue. They do continue. <laughs> There's, boredom is not a, a great danger. Well, Ken, let's, <laughs> let, let, let's open... Uh, we had you on, Russ, last time with Arthur Herman. We were talking about naval strategy. I'm extremely interesting. But this time I want to get to our land strategy, which is the border. Yeah. And Ken, you've been leading an effort at the center to, to push back against, uh, in fact, not just push back, to develop a strategy where we can protect our border. That's right, without waiting for a change of administration. So the founding fathers were very smart. 
very foresightful. And among the things in the Constitution that hasn't been used to date is the states, border states in particular, their authority to repel invasions. And um, I don't know how many millions of people you need coming across your border without permission for it to qualify as an invasion. But all the politicians down there talk about it as an invasion. And we've done uh, some legal and policy analysis. We conclude it's an invasion. And recently, interestingly, maybe uh, six weeks ago or so, uh, the first legal opinion on the subject by any authority in America ever was issued supportive of the same position we have advocated, and that was by the Attorney General of Arizona, Mark Burnovich, who answered um, legal questions. As I was a former state AG, we issue these opinions once in a while, and his opinion is that Arizona has the authority under Article I, Section 10 of the Constitution to defend its own border um, under the current circumstances. And uh, he also notes that authority resides exclusively with the governor, which we would also agree with. Um, but that raises the question for Governor Ducey, why aren't you doing it? And you look at his rhetoric and his state of the state address, he says all the right things, but he doesn't actually do it. I just happen to have handy the text of that article. You probably have it by heart. I, I have a no, lot no of it No state shall yeah. without consent of Congress. It, it starts with a negative. Lay any duty or tonnage of tonnage, keep troops or ships of war in time of peace, enter into any agreement or compact with another state or with a foreign power or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. That's right. So that's what we got the... It's that last provision that, I mean, let's call this what it is. It's a war power for states. That doesn't mean you're going to roll tanks and planes to the border. But it does mean that you can use state authorities, National Guard, state police, fill in the blank, under the governor's control to stop people at the border and turn them back as prisoners of war, not using immigration law. Let's be real clear about that. This is not immigration law. It's an actual invasion. This is an actual invasion, and the states have constitutional authority to repel that invasion. So a, a lot of people fall into, well, deport, well, we're not deporting. We're returning prisoners of war back into Mexico. Love it, Rush. You've let it. You guys went down there to talk mm -hmm. with all the all the uh, House legislators and, and and governors and lieutenant governors. What kind of reception did you get? Well, we've been to both Arizona and we've been to Texas, and we had a great reception. We had a third of the legislature in Arizona come out to the steps of their capital and call on Governor Ducey to do this. So this is a uh, an idea that has momentum clearly in Arizona, and we're building the momentum in Texas. So we were down in Del Rio, Texas, along the border to see up close and personal, talk to the National Guardsmen, uh, talk to the state trooper that are, are doing Operation Lone Star. And, and, you know, we asked them if the governor gave you new rules of engagement to allow you to do more, to actually interdict and bring someone back to the border, would you be able to do that? If you were deputized to do that? And they said, absolutely, we could get the job done. So this idea is building. Uh, my hope, Ken and our hope, is that uh, if, there, if, if Governor Ducey doesn't do this, th there is a Republican uh, set of uh, gubernatorial candidates that are running. Very likely that this is something that will be done early next year. And if Arizona does it, there is no way that Texas is not going to do it. So we are enthusiastic that somewhere in the neighborhood of two years before a Biden administration would end, we could have two of the major uh, four uh, border states doing this plan and unilaterally securing their border. Well, I read that list of states, Texas. Go Governor Abbott at least started doing some fairly effective things. I don't know where he is now. Well, fairly active, not effective. Okay. There is an important difference. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a, a, my favorite and only joke from an Italian pastor I had years ago was, what do you do when Jesus comes back? Look a busy. <laughs> and um, and uh, that is what's going on in Texas. If you look at the beginning of Operation Lone Star and look today, there hasn't been an iota of movement down in the number of illegal crossings. What they're doing doesn't work. And there's a very simple reason, because they won't return them to Mexico. Until the potential flow up across that border illegally knows they will be returned or that it's going to be hard for them to get in, they will just keep coming. And we can go action by action, 
The one, I will say this, the one thing that can have a long-term impact that Texas is doing is state funding for the wall. Um, but even the wall requires both manpower and the political willpower behind it to make it effective. If all people have to do is walk a few more miles to go around the wall and you're not going to stop them there, they'll just do that. Um, but it still has the potential when um, either federal will returns or the state steps up to the next level, this constitutional level we're talking about, that will help. But it's the only thing they're doing. And it won't help given their current other policies. I think implicit in what we're saying, and maybe we ought to make it explicit, is that we don't think what the Biden administration is doing is incompetence at the border. It's a deliberate policy mm -hmm. to oh, open yeah. it up. Yep. Yeah, I mean, no, there's no question. I mean, it's deliberate, and the you know elections are important. It takes time, and, and court uh, cases are really important. So we've won in the courts, but that you're now counting on a an administration official to actually do what the court wants you to do and to do it with gusto. And we just don't believe that's going to happen because they have an open border bent in policy. And it hasn't yet. And it hasn't yet. So even the way we win Remain in Mexico, that doesn't mean that they're going to actually do it. So we need governors in red states to lead the way to be actually say what's necessary to actually get the job done, not blame the Biden administration. There's blame plenty to be had. <laughs> right. But we actually need results. And your voters put you in office for those results. So if I could dovetail off that. So so Russ makes a point, red state governors. So we've talked about the border because the legal authority is, in our view, is clear on the border. But if you're uh, the governor of Nebraska or Florida, to take two examples of governors who have said they would do this, you can send your National Guard, you can send your uh, state police, for instance, if you're willing to put them under the authority of the border state governor, they can be deputized in that state and they can participate in this activity. So, yes, the authority has to be exercised by the border state governor, but all 50 states can participate in protecting this border, even if the federal government doesn't. So I'm governor of Indiana, to pick a hypothetical. That's where I grew sure. up. Republican, protect the border. I can send my militia down to uh, the border to help protect, you to can. help do things. Yeah, it has who's to be the authority. I mean, do I have to be invited in by uh, Texas yeah, or Arizona? The authority has for <clears throat> to be exercised has to remain with the border state, the invaded state's governor. But you can send your trained personnel. They can be deputized. So I'll use a D Department of Homeland Security example. When we had the riots in various cities, um, the federal police force that dealt with them was the one that protects buildings. Most people haven't heard of it. It's the FPS, Federal uh, Protective Service. Um, and we would deputize CBP officers, ICE agents, as FPS officers for purposes of bolstering our numbers at the point of need. States can do the same thing. They all have their own laws about deputizing law enforcement and they can bring in those from other states so they can then share the burden of doing what, frankly, the federal government ought to be doing. The federal government under the Constitution guarantees every state against invasion, but this administration has consciously decided they're going to invite an invasion instead. Uh, this is Bill Walton's show. I'm here talking with Russ Boat and Ken Cuccinelli about uh the Biden's uh, open border policy and its effect and the chance that maybe we can do something about it by getting the states to act and not wait for the federal government. When we talk about the states, though, I looked at the reason I ticked off that list, Texas, maybe, get another governor, probably, if we do get good, a good, good outcome. New Mexico, we've already got the attorney general, or not New Mexico, Arizona, but you get to New Mexico, the governor there actually likes the open border policy and doesn't seem to be doing anything to support what, well, what you're politically, talking about. Well, politically, yes. But, I mean, remember... Well, how do you even feel if you're living in New Mexico and you've got a governor? It. I mean, this is... This is, this, this is. But I think it'll be a game-changer <clears throat> if we're successful in Arizona and Texas. But now you've got a situation where every, all of the, uh, the traffic is going to California and New Mexico. It puts m much more yeah. attention on those two governors to make sure that they are actually in it to win it for their open border strategy. 
now their voters are demanding, like, why is it all coming to New Mexico, which I think is four out of the fourth out of those four states? Yes, it is. So, you know, I think it does change the dynamics, even in a blue state, if we're successful in those first two. I would point out, not that I rely on polling, but it's interesting, in the spring of 21, so right at the beginning of the Biden administration, Biden was already underwater with Democrats on the immigration issue. Yeah. And that was in March and April of 2021. And we've had a year of, frankly, from those people's perspective, nothing but crisis. Well, people are paying attention to it. I think the poll numbers are even more favorable to fighting back against this open border. Oh, absolutely. Border. I mean, it's... This, uh, I mean, the, the only motive on their side is political virtue signaling and kowtowing to their radical left that wants to erase our borders. I mean, all Democrats don't want to erase America's borders, but the ones with the voices and the control in the Democrat Party do. How bad is it? Oh, it's really bad. And the morale of CBP is bad. I was going to ask you about that. How do you feel if you're working for Trump and all of a sudden, instead of keeping people out, you're inviting people in? Well, instead of being an honored, respected law enforcement officer, you're loathed by your own own leadership. Um, That's a really dangerous place to be for a law enforcement organization. And that's what those guys are. Those men and women are law enforcement officers. And um, um, they serve under an administration that is intentionally rearranging ICE, rearranging CBP, the Border Patrol in particular, to make them ineffective. It's like tying your own shoelaces before running a race. That's what they're doing with a lot of their policies. Now, just a, a day or two ago, we had a federal judge rule untie those shoelaces in one instance, well, uh, where Mayorkas well, tried yeah. to narrow the list of mandatory Mayorkas deportations. Mayorkas Homeland Security. Yeah, the Secretary of Homeland Security, who, by the way, should be impeached, but that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a whole discussion. Well, there's a long own. list there. There is, but I, I don't okay. know of too many that have lied to Congress as much. There's as much good evidence there as there is for him. But, yeah. but um, he put a memo in place basically saying you've got to be caught in the act of murdering or being a a, a gang member. There's other terrible crimes, terrorism, to be deported. Everybody else, drunk drivers stay, all all sorts of other people stay. And a federal judge just ruled you don't get to narrow the statute that says who are mandatory deportations. And, um, you know, but to Russ's earlier point, that took us two years to get to the, or I'm sorry, a year to get to this point. And in the meantime, thousands, tens of thousands of horrific criminals who would have been deported under the Trump administration have been released into the United States and to prey on the American people and, by the way, on the immigrant communities they're part of. And I think that's a really important point. Like, when you're down on the border, you realize what the strategy is the cartels have. And mm-hmm. they have operational control of the border. So you would think that they're trying to avoid border police. They're not. So they are trying to literally take a a group of immigrants, illegal aliens, and give them, hand them directly over to Border Patrol. So Border Patrol then spends the next day, two days, three weeks uh, processing those individuals, while then the cartel gets stuff across the board somewhere else. It's, it's, It's a head fake designed to play into the laws and the policies that we have put in place that the Trump administration got around. But that is what we're so ineffective is that, you know... Yes, not, talk about nimble. Nimble. They're very nimble. It's not even that they yeah. just have bad morale because they work for people that don't want to do the, their mission set. It's that they don't even get to spend their days catching bad guys. They're, they're spending their days basically processing what comes in and not being able to get out in the field and do what they, what's necessary to do. What about the role of the Catholic Charities and all the other nonprofits yeah. that are down there helping to bring these, bring these illegals into the country? Well, they're certainly part of the coalition on the radical left. Okay. And, um, you know, they facilitate, the, the, they're where the releases are going. And it makes it a whole lot easier for the Biden administration to process people out in their catch and release efforts. Um, they want to release them. And these people get paid, these groups get paid a lot of money. So now you have the federal government funneling enormous sums of money to ideologically sympathetic, and I would say zealously so, groups. That money doesn't just get used to, to take care of those folks. It also ends up being used to litigate, to um, fight 
efforts to actually enforce the law. And uh, so this you know, is, this there's a coalition the, over there. The list of a thousand ways the federal government funds the left. Mm. Correct. Oh yeah. To to that long list, add this. Yes. So how bad is the drug issue? I mean, has it gotten worse? Is it well, the, if you're if you're if you own stock in a drug cartel, you're doing pretty well right now. I mean, um, it's never you mean been Pfizer easier. Pfizer or Merck? Or no, Rome? I mean no. the Zetas, and I mean <laughs> Sinaloa. Um, and uh, it's never been easier to bring drugs across that border. And um, we're seeing the American overdose deaths rise. We're seeing the price on the street go down. Those are related. Um, I still talk to my police buddies all around the country, and those prices have plummeted. That is a that's a that's as pure a supply and demand measure as you're going to see. Um, it, they're finding it very easy, the cartels, to move these drugs across the border, just as Russ described. It's not complicated for them. They drive their humans traffic at the border patrol so that they get absorbed numerically, and they have an administration that's helping them by limiting the number of of cops on the beat, if you will, in this space, and tying them up. So it makes it so much easier for the drug cartels to bring their deadly poison across the border. And that's not all that can come across. We also have other national security problems that cross that border. Since this is not hard news, we get to speculate. Let's speculate. I hear some people say, well, they're opening the border up because they want more Democratic voters. And this is the way they're seeing their their numbers dwindle and they want more Democrat voters, and this is a way to get those numbers up. I think there's a more sinister explanation is that they really do want to destroy American institutions. Oh, yeah. And it's not yeah, just voters. It's more about deconstructing American society. Yes. Yeah, I would put it the same way in the sense that they, they <clears throat> have a view of multiculturalism that tears apart the fabric of a nation. Uh, that is part of their strategy. It's their intent. And so open borders plays into that on a number of levels. And that's one of the things that we focus on at our, at our organization is we're always trying to look at the, the policies, the ideas that keep a nation integrated, assimilated. So we would look, and we did, uh, with the situation in Afghanistan, we want to be very cautious and, and cautionary about Afghan refugees being resettled here. Uh, if they're not going through a, a security situation, to, to understand, can these people actually be assimilated in the way that's necessary to keep the nation in, culturally integrated, uh, integrated? The border is, a, is a, exactly the same problem. You know, you've got uh, a, an open border policy that's just, they're trying to rip communities apart. It is a feature. It is not a bug. Yeah, this is very intentional on their part. And... Um... I think that a lot of them think they'll get votes out of here. I would point out that Hispanic votes keep moving to the right. There's, they're the majority of who's crossing the border. They're not by any means exclusive. We get people from 160 countries around the world coming across that border in the last year. That's changed. I mean, isn't it a big spike? In well, other... you know, you literally, right now, you have Russians who fly to Mexico and then drive up to the border to cross illegally. Now... Th those folks are being held back, but that's an exception, not the rule. Uh, Brazilians, Venezuelans, they know they just fly into Mexico and walk up. I mean, this happens from all over the world, from, from Africa, from Asia. Um, and uh, and it's, a, it's, it's well known. And those people pay more money. They're sort of the, the premium human smuggling uh, customers. And, um, but the more of them, the merrier to the drug cartels. Mexico, that after President Trump sort of pounded them into cooperating, they cooperated a lot. Mm. When they engaged, it was effective. And now you have an administration that's gone so far the other way, um, even Mexico's complaining about it. You know, you've got Central American presidents complaining about how we're spawning this illegal immigration, not migration, illegal immigration. They want to water down all the words we use. Um, and it's causing dis disruption throughout the hemisphere and in our American communities. What's, what's the center's next line of action on this? I mean, you've got... Well, what, certainly what, we're going to keep pushing on the state authority because we're not going to get a federal set of federal officials who are going to take charge of this for two plus more years. Hopefully Congress will play more of a role next year, but... 
Yeah, I mean, we're also going to be working with the legislatures in these states to build a, an outcry of legislative support for the governors to then act. The governor's going to have to act. It's their authority under the Constitution, but the legislature can be part of what mobilizes them to say this issue can't be ignored. So that's on this issue, that's what we're going to be doing next. Well, Rush, you had an amazing job, head of OMB, where you got to see the whole of government. Is this a whole of government issue that we're dealing with with the Biden administration or all the agencies, all the all the cabinet folks winding up on this on the wrong side? Yeah, I mean, it's, this is a whole of government disarray, whereas we had DHS, we had DOD, we had OMB. We had every agency that had a part to play engaged in trying to fix a problem. They have the exact opposite. I mean, they're using their whole of government functions. That is you know, something that OMB is a helpful part of running to do things like climate change and have an anti-energy policy. They're doing it to push equity and critical race theory. So that's where they're using their whole of government uh, energy and expertise. And as a result, they have disarray everywhere else on the real problems that are facing the country. So not so much specifically on the border, but all the other bad stuff. Correct. And of course, we have Pete Buttigieg, who's telling us that they're fighting to prevent a single car accident death in America. Did you hear about that? I mean, can, I, I can these people engineer. get up in front of a camera with uh, not? Well, he, and he doesn't know math or statistics, but I was an engineer <laughs> before I went to the dark side and went to law school. And when I hear number play like that, it drives me yeah, crazy. Yeah, that's the same. Um, it just drives me nuts. Well, we, what time, much time? Do, this is the Bill Walton show, and we're talking about the, I'm talking Russ Vogt and Ken Cuccinelli about the, uh, catastrophic things happening on our southern border and all the related things throughout government with the Biden's administration. Is it really two and a half years we have to wait to fix this if we get another, if we get a, a Republican president who's going to do the right thing? Or what happens if we win big in November in the congressional elections? Can well, the Senate and the House the do anything? I think they can. And I think that they can use the appropriations process to force Department of Homeland Security to take steps and to overturn their policies and to move out. Um, I do think we, a permanent fix is necessary. Things like some of the drivers in the law that allow for this open border policies are things that the Trump administration had to work around. Uh, we had to figure out uh, uh, ways to deal with the fact that our laws are problematic. They, they work as kind of little magnets uh, towards illegal immigration. And so those are all things that we've got to fix. Those can be fixed uh, through the, the push and pull of the legislative process as soon as you have a Republican majority. Uh, but even then, you're going to always going to have, if you have a Biden administration, you're going to have a, an official uh, who's at Department of Homeland Security that does not want to do this. Yeah. And so that's why even with a Republican majority, even with successful court cases, we need Republican governors to step up. Yeah. No question about it. And, um, you know, it isn't just the border governors. Uh, I think it would go a long way in getting a Governor Ducey and a Governor Abbott more comfortable putting their folks on the line if there were people standing there with them from other states. And I think it's pretty clear some of the other governors are willing to do that. How big a What's the dissemination? Uh, People show up at the border, you've got the four states we've talked about, but then with the aid of the Catholic Charities and everybody else, they're ending up all over the country. Are they concentrating in places where there'd be political pushback? I mean, you know, is it like putting a, a wind farm off of uh, Nantucket or something like that? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, what, at what point do we, do we get the not-in-my-backyard uh, immigration uh, pushback? I think in the, in the, uh, in the blue areas, the cultural browbeating against making complaints like that has been so severe and effective, frankly, that you don't get those complaints even when destruction ensues. Um, often in the, in the form, for instance, of exploding overpopulation of local schools that is way beyond the local plan because they couldn't plan for international illegal immigration at this kind of scale. Uh, I have that near where I live in the Manassas area of, of Northern Virginia and um, it's happening in communities all over the country. It's a common problem. And then all the other resources of that school district get drawn away from teaching the average child um, to what it sends, ends up being a special situation, second language, et cetera. 
just as that has been a challenge before um, in special needs kids, for instance, and I don't think anybody in this country objects to them getting more attention and resources, but here we are now drawing resources off ordinary American children to frankly encourage, because that's what it does, illegal immigration. Um, it's, a, it's a benefit to the illegals of illegal immigration. Even though immigration. they're going to be taught critical race theory. Yeah, well, you know, they're willing to make that oh, I trade. Know. I, 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 <laughs> it's a trade yeah. well worth making. Yeah, and from their but though culturally it doesn't match most of the people coming into the country. Well, I'm let's tie this a bit. If we if we if we agree that this 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 immigration is a covert war on, on our civil society, on all the yeah. institutions that make America America, we've got another war being waged by Merrick Garland on parents and who protest the teaching of among other things, critical race theory in the schools. I mean, are you guys working on that one? Where, where you're, uh... We are. We work on any issue where we feel that the government is weaponized against the American people. And so this is clearly in that category, in part because you've seen the American people rise up with concern about what's being taught in their schools, about the issue of critical race theory. And so, you know, there's a reason why Garland would take the steps to, to invoke federal terrorism laws in such a way that would cause a, a, a fear to be embedded in the minds of a potential parent to go to a school board. Am I going to have to get a lawyer for this? I may win, but am I going to have to then go for the next year of my life with hundreds of thousands of dollars of legal fees because I chose to, to step up? Am I going to then have uh, an FBI agent knocking on my door? And, and oh, by the way, we've seen the FBI that has been... Yeah has demonstrated over the last four years how they make decisions and who they go after. And so this is just one aspect of it. Uh, but if we're actually going to save our country, we've got to get a handle on the ways that the left has weaponized government against the American people and to be able to go in into a new administration at some point whenever the American people give us that opportunity and say, we're changing that. And we're going to have the reforms that can say this is never going to happen again. Government is meant to protect the American people and not the other way around. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's America's, for so much of its history, been a shining example of the opposite. You know, this is the place where people whose governments are making war on them flee to. Well, now we've got a government and we've got it at state and local levels. I mean, so this isn't just a, you know, a single point of problem. This is... This has been uh, woven through a lot of the political fabric of the left of this country to use government power against our own citizens. And we saw it with COVID. We see the free speech suppression, we see, which is a, a, a severe example of what uh, Russ is talking about with Merrick Garland. But boy, I'll tell you, did we ever make such a good decision not confirming a judge <laughs> as Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court? Oh, my gosh. I mean, what's been revealed about this guy and his judgment and willingness to use government power tyrannically has been scary. Um, and it continues to really, in real life, be scary for scores of Americans who are suffering from his decision making. What's, what's, what are some other examples besides the parent? Well, certainly uh, the parent one is huge. Yeah. And um, the simplicity with which it was executed. So they got a letter from a <clears throat> school board association effectively, or as we saw, controlled by a few left-wing people. They have members that are not similarly uh, aligned, yet they didn't look for their approval. They sent this letter to Merrick Garland. He jumped on that, and as he said in Congress, it was the only thing he based that decision on, and then turned the full power of fighting terrorism of the federal government against parents going to school board meetings. I heard that the, astonishing. the school board's administration or association was instigated by, by some people in the Biden White House. I mean, this was not, yeah, a, so, this, yeah. these were not a people out solo acting there. No, it was, there was, it, it, this letter didn't come out of the blue. Right. Right. Yeah, there was prior communication. Of course, that wasn't admitted early. But the month before, I want to say that was October last year, and the month before in September, Bill, exactly the kind of contacts you're describing with the White House. 
um, were going on there. So, I mean, another example would be Department of Homeland Security in in their kind of metrics for a watch list, putting things on that. Uh, and Ken can kind of give you the technical uh, word for some of the bulletins that they put out for people being concerned about voter fraud as uh, implying that that's some sort of domestic terrorism or mm-hmm. someone that needs to be watched carefully. And and there are armies of of bureaucratic resources that can go to these kinds of things, of, of studies and uh, databases that uh, people can find themselves in. But I'll give you another example. I mean, just in Environmental Protection Agency, and this is something we put out. We, we eliminated this, but I'm sure it'll come back, is they, had, they prosecuted a 77-year-old Navy veteran and made him spend 18 months of his last days on Earth in prison because he had built a number of ponds in violation of waters of the United States. So you would never think that the Environmental Protection Agency would be one of these agencies that's weaponized against the American people. And yet you have examples of this all around, of Department of Interior not approving some license, and as a result, someone's fishery gets, got shut down. So these are the things that we're trying to get at, and we believe it's tied in with the amount of federal spending that we're doing. So we're not just federal increasing federal spending because they are liberals and they want to increase government. That's part of it. But it's, it's part of their woke, aggressive, coercive government that they're trying to, to perpetuate right now. And that's one of the reasons why we have to, to defund these agencies. Yeah. That, that is the solution, is zero funding. Zero. Not less funding. Zero funding. And by the way, we're bankrupt anyway, so why don't we, why don't we get to work on that? But um, if you leave them any power at all, they will use it for the worst. Po- if they have $1 to spend, they'll spend it on the very worst, most oppressive thing they can come up with. It won't be on keeping the environment clean. Uh, you're watching. This is the Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Ken Cuccinelli and Russ Vogt, and we're talking about uh, our overreaching, uh, overweening federal government and uh, what they're doing to promote a woke agenda. But it occurs to me as I'm sitting there listening to them, We've got two men here who've actually been in the job at OMB and at Homeland Security. And I'm going to ask you, when you're back on the job and you're the, you're the head of the Homeland Security Department and you're back in whatever big job you'll have in the next administration, what would you do? How would you, how would you reverse what, what Biden is doing? How would you bring about change? I mean, well, we're, we're so, trying to go to chip shop through the states, but what if you had actual federal Well, authority? first of all, I'd work with the states to nail down their authority for when we're gone <clears throat> to support them in exercising that authority in partnership with us i don't think move the power to the states so regardless uh, of well it's dual okay they have their own source of authority all right not turn it over to them but you know right now they if you're greg abbott and you're doug ducey you're facing the the if you go down the path that we have advised of defending your own border of course you'll be sued by the federal government well, not if I'm there, not if Russ is there, you know, um, we'll, we'll be standing shoulder to shoulder with you saying, yes, the states have, these author- have this authority, and then it's there forever. Then it's there forever. And you get the benefit of federalism. You, you aren't totally reliant on the federal government anymore for this subject. You can look to states to help protect themselves and the rest of America by doing that. So those are some of the things that I would do. Um, if I were in that position in Mayorkas position now, uh, I'd be I'd be lining those up and working in partnership with those states, um, and doing everything I can to eliminate the procedural hurdles to just performing the missions of CBP and ICE and so forth. Do we need TSA? <clears throat> um, not per se. Um, you know, I think some form of airline security, given how we've seen that's uniquely weaponizable. You can't weaponize a train in the same way you can a plane. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, doesn't mean you can't cause problems, but, uh, but you know, a plane, as we've seen, is a flying bomb. And um, taking some steps to be careful about that makes some sense. Does that mean the way TSA operates now is the best way to go about that? Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to stay viable for your hearing. It yeah. is not going about. The you know, best I, uh, way. <laughs> I, uh, 
I don't have <laughs> okay. a long history of trying to stay viable for hearings. Okay. Uh, Russ right. is laughing. But for instance, <laughs> they're unionized. That doesn't make sense for a security force. Heck, yeah. our immigration judges have an immigration judges union. That's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, <laughs> there are some rather clear things we could do to clear the way to just letting our agencies perform their missions for the statutes already on the books. But it's, it's not, it's asymmetric warfare. Russ described how, how do you get an agency to do its job? Well, when you've got a Mayorkas leading DHS, that's hard to do. How do you get an agency to stop doing its job? All you got to do is win one lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Stopping an agency is easy. Actually performing is hard. You know, um, and we're... We are the ones who want government to work well, to perform its missions, and they're in the space we're talking about. They want to stop government from doing that. And that's easy to do. It's easy to tie people's shoelaces together. It's hard to become more efficient. You know, under Title 42, which was the public health order that came with COVID for the border, we were removing over 85% of all illegal border crossers in under two hours Hmm. with what were still then high numbers. So I I wouldn't say we didn't have an invasion under the Trump administration. I would say we did. We just had a federal government that was trying to deal with it. But I would point out for the future that would still trigger state authority to engage in protecting their own border too. We wouldn't wouldn't, uh, displace the states Mm -hmm. in 2019, 2018 if the same legal authority had been used. Thoughts? Yeah, one of the things that I would do immediately is ask uh, a lot of aggressive questions about what agencies were doing. Uh, You know, OMB has statutory tools to bring in for review uh, and to basically use the apportionment process to turn off funding that has been appropriated by Congress to do the will of the president and his uh, administration if we know what's being done at the agency. (laughs) But the challenge is that the agency has no desire to ever tell you what they're up to. The secretaries often have no desire to get that deep in the weeds for themselves to know what's going on in their own agencies. And so you really need a, an aggressive level of oversight to know, all right, here's, we're, we're, we're going to get beyond just how much we're going to give you for a, a program. We want to know how you are actually providing those grants and, and who they're going to. You know, Bill, I asked one time, I said, you know, I need a whole list of waste, fraud, and abuse. And it was like I was speaking another language. Like, they could not comprehend the notion that something that the American people (laughs) would view as fraud. And I finally said, okay, stop talking. Don't use the word fraud. It's waste and abuse. Can you get me that? And I was able to get somewhere. But you, it's an example of how you have to learn to talk to the the, the bureaucracy that you're working with to get the results that waste, are necessary. Waste? There's no waste around here. No, never. <laughs> True, but, but you know, let's apply a, a step of management philosophy. And I did this as Attorney General of Virginia. I made all my deputy AGs responsible for their part of the budget. And one of the tasks they had to do annually was rank in priority order from a mission standpoint, most important to least important thing they were doing. And I don't mean them personally, but in their department. And then they had to come up with a list of things that they weren't doing that had some significance. And the task was, what aren't we doing that might be more valuable than what we are doing? Because we had to balance our budget in the state government. We didn't just print money, you know? Um, So, and then we would stop doing, not cut in half, Stop doing the things at the bottom of the list and start doing the higher priority items. The other thing you do with it is then the the deputies and the different, and this would the example at the federal level would be secretaries, would compare what's your last dollar going to, your lowest priority dollar going to, to the next agency or to all of them. And then you can align, that, that gives you a way to compare apples to oranges, to bananas, to raspberries, to grapes, um, because there's a lot going on, um, and to maximize the impact for the benefit of the taxpayers, in this case, as, as measured by the will of the president who they elected and his or her policies, 
um, and align those using money. And in a smaller organization like a state attorney general's office, I was readily able to do that. Now, I also had authority to do that within my own agency um, and move those around, but that's how you get to zero on, on things that would be waste. So we need to get you back on the job. We got a couple of <laughs> couple of minutes. What's ahead next for the center? What what are you focused on now? We're very focused right now on uh, big tech reform. We've got a, a lawsuit or an amicus brief in the Fifth Circuit uh, supporting some of the bills that have been passed out of the Texas legislature. Uh, we're very involved right now on making sure that we're working with federal congressmen to make sure if there's a Republican majority, we've got the kind of rules in place that can be changed. Uh, to be able to actually get stuff done and so the House of Representatives can drive change through the process. Um, and we're going to be working on anything that is cultural in nature um, that is designed to keep the nation in integrated, uh, whether that's reflective of the Judeo-Christian culture that we've had or the notion that we're actually a country or the <laughs> fact that communities are important in as much as individuals are important. So everything that we do is always in one of those areas. Um, a big thing right now is social emotional learning, which is the delivery mechanism for critical race theory. So just give you a sense of all the different things that we're working on trying to, to stop and put an end to and, and, and help build up those who are already fighting on this. How do you drill? Let me drill in. I, you, you covered about 53,000 things I'm interested in. Critical <laughs> and emotional, emotional what? Right. So social emotional Social emotional tied to critical race theory. Is How, a, help uh, me with that. Is, What's a, the, is a framework that exists that no one's really focusing on it other than a few <laughs> teachers that have lost their jobs for challenging it. One of, her, one of those teachers is a, a lady named Jennifer McWilliams who is, is a fellow of ours. And it's a number of questions that are designed to be asked that allow you then to insert critical race theory down the road as in you know, is this person learning properly uh are, are they learning in a way that will allow them to uh relate well with their other individuals uh to be uh to to learn in a in an environment that allows them to succeed so things that as i'm talking about them they might not sound that bad or cynical, but when they get weaponized and no, the design sound, is to I, be... My different word would be sinister. Sinister. Yes. As they're designed to be weaponized, you then insert critical race theory and the concepts and the fact that these are done by third-party groups that you know you can kind of have an easier way than a government bureaucrat to make sure it's your ideology that's getting who, exported. Who's your critical race theory expert? We have a guy named Michael Young who yeah. just got uh, canceled for about 24 hours from Twitter for uh, referring so you to, know him, he's doing his job well. to as a man, as a man. But he's back up and running, and uh, all he does, Bill, is read the left so that when uh, someone gets elected to the school board, they don't have <clears> to read <throat> all of the liberal philosophers. They can just basically take all of the Mike Young glossary terms, put it into their search, and be able to say, okay, we're going to get rid of all of the, the CRT uh, terms that are coming up. That's mm. the kind of things that we're trying to make people's life easier to art, participate in the political process. We need to do a show on disinformation, misinformation, canceling, news blackouts, only hearing one. I mean, it feels like we can't have a discussion anymore because there's certain things you can't say. Yeah. And on that happy note, we got to yeah. wrap. Ken, we, look, before we get out of here, do we? What else on the immigration front should we? Did we not talk well, about? We should have. Russ touched on the Afghan, um, about 85,000 largely unvetted refugees that were hustled in here in a process that was uh, intentionally seen to de designed to do to be deconstructive of American fabric. Um, now we're gonna, you know, we've got the Ukraine war still hot, and it's interesting how slow uh, this administration has been to move on a refugee front there. Um, and uh, so you do have some of these things beyond the border that are still bubbling. Um, and uh, I, I do think that it's gonna be critical. It's almost too late. It's now the end of March of before a midterm election. I don't think any meaningful immigration legislation could really be advanced at this point. 
And so the preparation that Russ talked about for after the Republicans take the House and hopefully the Senate um, is very important work right now. So mm -hmm. what are they going to do? And their only leverage is going to be, well, there's two pieces of leverage, the budget and things like going back to 1996, putting a bill like welfare reform on the president's desk if he runs for reelection is literally these 70, 30, <clears throat> 80, 20 issues. If, if the Republicans can stick together enough to just keep it thin enough to do in that way could present some real challenges for Joe Biden to veto and obviously real opportunities for America to improve our situation. Russ Vogt, Ken Cuccinelli, Center for uh, Renewing America. Thanks for being here. We cover a lot of topics. I've got a couple more questions for you. Maybe when we shut down, I can, <laughs> I can, I can ask those. Uh, so thanks for paying attention to the Bill Walton show. We hope you found this interesting. Our, uh, uh, candid discussion about immigration in America. Uh, and I hope you'll tune in for next time. As you know, you can find us on all the plat platforms, Rumble, Twitter, not Twitter, Rumble, uh, uh, YouTube. And I don't think we said anything on this show particularly that YouTube would censor. Should we do it again so we could get we, some more yeah, better we, we stuff really in? Did, we really failed in that regard. I got plenty of material. <laughs> next time let's go let's go for that all right anyway thanks guys thanks for joining and, and stay tuned we'll or not stay tuned we'll see it back here next time so thanks for joining okay excellent do you think the immigration thing with the, the i'm sorry the refugee issue with regard to ukraine are they the wrong color uh for this administration yes and they and they assimilate too easily <laughs> so why bother it doesn't have the deconstructive aspect um, that the radical left really wants out of our immigration process. That's that's what I that's my take. What do you think? Yeah, unfortunately, no, I totally it's complicated. Agree. I mean, you know, absolutely. I mean, the adoption process right now is you would think that of all the people that we could get th through from Ukraine, that kids that are in orphanages, State Department's not doing anything along those lines to help out on that. Just an example of the extent to which, uh, you know, it's easy on one side and it's harder on another. Is Trump going to run again? I I would think so. That's where I would put my money. What do you think? I think so. I think so. Do you think he'll win? I think whoever the Republican nominee will be the next president of the United States. Yeah, I think that, that sounds right. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.